The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. The riches of the wealthy are a strong city, and like a high wall in their imagination. But pride comes before disaster, and humility comes before respect. This is the word black and red. And welcome to The Word in Black and Red, where we read the Bible from a leftist and liberationist perspective to elucidate the way people of faith and their comrades can understand the Bible as a source of healing, love, and liberation for all people. I am your host, Michael Belong, the wise old Lama MB, joined today by the wonderful L, our wonderful repeat guest, but also one of the hosts of the wonderful podcast, Ideas About God, Josh Fights a Bear. Josh, will you tell us a little bit about your political tendency, um, your religious background, and how we can connect with you, and a little bit more about Ideas About God? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so, like, my name is my name is Josh. Um, I'm probably an anarcho-communist, I think, somewhere in that. Um I think at a certain point, you can only add so many, you know, adjectives before <laughs> anarchist. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm a uh, former evangelical kind of group in that world, but then deconstructed my way out of that. Um, I'm now still in the Christian camp most days, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that depends. And as far as like people can get a hold of me, uh, you can always find Ideas About, jo- Ideas About God podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple, um, all that jazz. Um, you can find us uh ideas about god podcast we're on instagram um you can also find me on instagram josh fights a bear yeah that's it that's it awesome awesome so why didn't you fight a twink instead i uh, <laughs> that sounds uh I, so man like i never actually thought about it that that context before like this this store like i used to do stand up and so um one of my jokes was that I, or it was this idea for a joke about like, like getting drunk and then and fighting a bear. Um, and I thought that was really funny for some reason. And that became like my Twitter handle, um, which also became my, my Instagram handle. And at the t- I, I was completely unawares of like, like the term like bear to refer to like, like a, like a type of person, yeah. like a sexual flavor. Like I was like, Oh, like I found out later. And I was like, yeah, this should probably change. Maybe we need to change that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will never live down the <laughs> the the day when I I came out to one of my friends and I was like, you know, I am really how I would describe myself as a, a non-binary otter. And then he lightly tapped my my belly and said, "You were an otter a couple of pounds ago. You're a bear now, honey." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I I see you. I see you calling me out. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Uh. (laughs) All right. Well, I am really looking forward to this conversation, seeing where it goes. And uh, we have a long passage that is one that is often overlooked. And so I am excited to see uh, the strange ways that we will elucidate what is happening here in this text. And I am particularly excited to talk about the under thigh of Abraham. So (laughs) without further ado, I'll go ahead and start reading Genesis 26. As the days went by and Abraham became older, the Lord blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to the oldest servant of his household, who was in charge of everything he owned, Put your hand under my thigh. 
by the Lord God of heaven and earth. Give me your word that you won't choose a wife for my son from the Canaanite women among whom I live. Go to my land and my family and find a wife for my son Isaac there. The servant said to him, What if the woman doesn't agree to come back with me to this land? Shouldn't I take your son back to the land you left? Abraham said to him, Be sure you don't take my son back there. The Lord, God of heaven, who took me from my father's household and from my family's land, who spoke with me and gave me their word, saying, I will give this land to your descendants. He will send his messenger in front of you, and you will find a wife for my son there. If the woman won't agree to come back with you, you will be free from this obligation to me. Only don't take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and gave him his word about this mission. The servant took ten of his master's camels and all of his master's best provisions, set out, and traveled to Nahor's city in Aram Naharaim. He had the camels kneel down outside the city at the well in the evening, when women come out to draw water. He said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make something good happen for me today and be loyal to my master Abraham. I will stand here by the spring while the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. When I say to the young woman, hand me your water jar so that I can drink. And she says to me, drink and I will give your camels water too. May she be the one you've selected for your servant Isaac. In this way, I will know that you've been loyal to my master. Even before he finished speaking, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, was coming out with a water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very beautiful, old enough to be married, and hadn't known a man intimately. She went down to the spring, filled her water jar, and came back up. The servant ran to meet her and said, Give me a little sip of water from your jar. She said, Drink, sir. Then she quickly lowered the water jar with her hands and gave him some water to drink. When she finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw some water for your camels, too, till they've had enough to drink. She emptied her water jar quickly into the watering trough, ran to the well again to draw water, and drew water for all of the camels. The man stood gazing at her, wondering silently if the Lord had made his trip successful or not. As soon as the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold ring, weighing a half a shekel and two gold bracelets for her arms, weighing ten shekels. He said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She responded, I am the daughter of Bethuel, who is the son of Milcah and Nahor. She continued, We have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and a place to spend the night. The man bowed down and praised the Lord. Bless the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who hasn't given up God's loyalty and God's faithfulness to my master. The Lord has shown me the way to the household of my master's brother. The young woman ran and told her mother's household everything that had happened. Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and Laban ran to the man outside the spring. When he had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and when he had heard his sister Rebekah say, This is what the man said to me, he went to the man, who was still standing by the spring with his camels. Laban said, Come in, favored one of the Lord. Why are you standing outside? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man entered the house. Then Laban unbridled the camels, provided straw and feed for them, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men with him, and set out a meal for him. But the man said, I won't eat until you've said something. Laban replied, Say it. The man said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has richly blessed my master, has made him a great man, and has given him flocks, cattle, silver, gold, men servants, women servants, camels, and donkeys. My master's wife Sarah gave birth to a son for my master in her old age, and he's given him everything he owns. My master made me give him my word. Don't choose a wife for my son from the Canaanite women in whose land I'm living. 
No, instead, go to my father's household and to my relatives and choose a wife for my son. I said to my master, What if the woman won't come back with me? He said to me, The Lord, who I have traveled with everywhere, will send God's messenger with you and make your trip successful. And you will choose a wife for my son, for my relatives, and for my father's household. If you go to my relatives, you will be free from your obligation to me. Even if they provide no one for you, you will be free from your obligation to me. Today I arrived at the spring, and I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you wish to make the trip I am taking successful, when I am standing by the spring and the young woman who comes out to draw water, and to whom I say, Please give me a little drink of water from your jar, and she responds to me, Drink, and I will draw water for your camels too. May she be the woman the Lord has selected for my master's son. Before I finished saying this to myself, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring to draw water, and I said to her, Please, give me something to drink. She immediately lowered her water jar and said, Drink, and I will give your camels something to drink too. So I drank, and she gave water to the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son whom Milcah bore him. I put a ring in her nose and bracelets on her arms. I bowed and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me in the right direction to choose the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you are loyal and faithful to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, so that I will know where I stand either way. Laban and Bethuel both responded, This is all the Lord's doing. We have nothing to say about it. Here is Rebekah, right in front of you. Take her and go. She will be the wife of your master's son, just as the Lord said. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed low before the Lord. The servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. To her brother and to her mother, he gave the finest gifts. He and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up in the morning, the servant said, See me off to my master. Her brother and mother said, Let the young woman stay with us not more than ten days, and after that she may go. But he said to them, Don't delay me. The Lord has made my trip successful. See me off so that I can go to my master. They said, Summon the young woman, and let's ask her opinion. They called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent off her sister Rebekah, her nurse, Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, saying to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousand. May your children possess their enemy's cities. Rebekah and her young women got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from the region of Be'er Lahairoi, and had settled in the arid southern plain. One evening, Isaac went out to inspect the pasture, and while staring, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah stared at Isaac. She got down from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking through the pasture to meet us? The servant said, He's my master. So she took off her headscarf and covered herself. The servant told Isaac everything that had happened. Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. He received Rebekah as his wife and loved her. So Isaac found comfort after his mother's death. So first off, I apologize. That's such a long passage. But (laughs) uh, there is a lot going on here in this story that is uh, somewhat classical, uh, that, that requires a little bit of understanding of how the ancient world dealt with lots of different things. First off, Al, tell us a little bit more about this strange saying, put your hand under my thigh. What Abraham's is meaning is swear on my dick and find me a non-pagan wife for my son, please. 
So what is this? <laughs> what do you mean swear on my dick? What 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 is happening there? <laughs> um. Well, I I read that under 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 the thigh is a nice way to put like swear on my dick. And Abraham is asking his servant to swear upon like the covenant mark of you know Abraham and God's relationship, which is the circumcision. So it's a really like no homo like. I'm super serious. Please make this happen like thing. Well, and and it's interesting because so much of this passage once again is revolving around these organs of life, right? If longtime listeners you will remember the significance of wells in the biblical story, right? That wells are this yonic image, this source of life in the middle of the desert, and it is very significant that the woman provides water to the servant and that that is the symbol of life, right? This is life begetting life essentially here. And the 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 thing that he swears on is his sexual organ that allowed him to create Isaac in the first place and that you know that's all tied in here this phallic imagery with this yonic imagery that are coming together again in this story Josh I see you're rubbing your chin no I I just think like I think that's that's how I'm gonna have all my promises be from now on it's just <laughs> I, I think I think that adds a um, I think that's another another level to like. Listen, <laughs> like, what are you, it's what are you doing? It's more serious than a pinky promise. <laughs> it's more, like I'm going on vacation. I need you to feed my cats. Swear <laughs> <laughs> under my dick. thigh right now. <laughs> under, under my thigh right now. They get one and a half scoops. Make sure you get them fresh water every day. They'll ask for <laughs> treats. Don't give them any. Swear on my dick right now. <laughs> well, and. Uh, and and like it is this deep intimacy, right? <laughs> of of I trust you enough to grab the most vulnerable part of me, right? And and a, a, a tiny bit of pushback. I think that the under my thigh is probably actually the testicles rather than uh, the dick itself. And I think that because there are a number of ancient depictions that we see that are grabbing one another's testicles um, that we see in the ancient Near East, that again, it is holding on to the most vulnerable part of yourself that you're clinging to while you are making this promise that, again, to Abraham, this is his progenity, right? This is how he survives. This is how he lives the rest of time. So you need to have that kind of intimacy with someone to trust them with a task this big. So we are getting to the test here. So this is uh, not the first test that happens throughout the Bible, um, but I think it's one of the most overlooked tests. Um, Typically, when we're talking about different tests that happen in the Bible, the classic example is Gideon, right? Here, again, the symbol of water, this symbol of this yonic symbol of life that is renewing um, and all of these sort of things is is encapsulated in this strange test. Um, what do y'all's take on the test? How do we uh, and um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just interested on y'all's takes on testing God in this way when um, the the fundamentalism that I was raised in was very much so do not test God. Um, but here in the text, we see people testing God's will all the time. Okay, I don't think the servant is testing God. I he okay. is very politely looking for a very reasonable sign that is based on the behavior of somebody else to know who the person is. Like I don't think it's a test. I think he's, he's very nice and the per, the only person being tested here is the potential wife coming out the door. And you know, 
the servant could have been sitting there for all day and not a single lady say hello uh, or respond to him or like look through him. But the first person who does, Rebecca. And, you know, the servant's definitely a little eager. He runs towards her thinking like this, maybe this is the girl. We'll, we'll go ahead. We'll go ahead. Uh, can I have some water, please? And she's like, yeah, let me get your camel some water too. And like, that's obviously a sign like someone is a good, gracious person. Like they not just like recognize you, but like they see to all your needs and like it's a genuine act of kindness because I read that a camel and the servant has 10, a camel can drink up to 30 gallons of water at a first like drink. And that's a lot of gallons for her to be like going to the well, hoisting like maybe the bucket's three gallons. Like that's 10 hoists each camel. She's doing a lot of labor for this, and she did not have to. She offered it upon herself. So, not only not only is Rebecca gracious, she's also jacked. Yeah, she's so <laughs> jacked. <laughs> she could handle being a shepherdess wife, you know. <laughs> she's she's got the creden- credentials. She she can she can water ten camels uh, on her own. <laughs> In what seems to be a fast amount of time, too, because that would yeah. take me, like, all day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Josh? I was just saying you start adding uh, ads, um, waters 10 camels, and you just add that to your Tinder bio. I think that's that's the move. <laughs> um, no, I just, it, like, I, I come back to that, that language of test. It, it does feel like we're not, we're not so much testing God, like, like what we see Gideon do later, or even, um, like, I mean, but we still kind of have, like, there is still kind of, like, this back and forth, like, since, I don't know, like, Abraham does that with, like, you know, like, um, with Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, trying to, like, you know, barter for, um, for lives there. But, um, yeah, it, it feels, it feels kind of like, like, just, like, setting up outside of, like, the, the convenience store and to seeing, like, oh, like, who, what avail, like, what, um, available woman is going to like throw a couple of bucks to the guy panhandling on the corner <laughs> and then be like, she's the one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it it kind of feels like that. And you're just kind of wanting like someone who's generous, which I think would be a, a, a trait you'd want in a partner. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, can, it makes sense. It's, it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and longtime listeners will remember that the point of wealth is to use it to benefit other people, right? And so, like, you want to find you want to find the ancestor of uh, of the tens of thousands of children that you're promised to have. You want them to be a pr- generous person, <laughs> so that they can give away those things when they have them, right? We have to remember the core essential uh, reality of living in the ancient Near East, where there is like first off it's not all desert right so <laughs> um sometimes people get into their heads that the ancient near east is just desert no the ancient near east has a lot of or had a lot of area that was um and still has a lot of area that is good for growing crops and growing things and whatnot but uh desertification is something that started happening a long time ago and so 
Like water is very important in all of these uh, ancient cultures, that water is the source of life. That's why we see uh, Jesus describing himself as uh, as the water, right? That's why we see baptism so important, that you are surrounded by this new life-giving thing that you are entering into. Like this, this ancient symbol of life is here that is again connected with the wells, the springing up of life that is so important here. Did y'all have more thoughts on the on the yonic imagery here? I I think it was the midrash, but uh, in terms of like yonic imagery, it it said that um, the waters rose up to meet Rebecca. Uh, mm. Which is interesting in the Yonic symbolism way means she was moist. <laughs> I think that's the most controversial thing that's ever been said on this podcast is the word moist. <laughs> you you don't like moist, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> You're making her sound like a moist towelette. <laughs> oh, I'll have one after dinner. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the fact that the story repeats so often, and it's weird that the story repeats so often. And then we're going to talk about the the mother's tent and Laban and his delaying process, because Laban is going to do this again. So, well, um, <laughs> I I think it is important that Lab- Laban is the one who's like going out to meet them because. Like I, I, I think it was the Midrash that I was reading. I, I go on so many websites for this podcast, but <laughs> someone suggested that Laban was trying to usurp his father already while mm. he was still alive, um, and it, like it, it completely falls like in line with his character and like what we know he does with Jacob later, and yeah, I, you know. I think it might be a little bit important because it just it helps like season the whole overarching story a little bit. Yeah, and and just as a little bit of a preview to our guests who have not read the Bible before, uh, Laban is a character who comes back up again um, and forces Jacob to work seven seven years to get his daughter uh, to be able to marry his younger daughter, and then does a switcheroo on the wedding night, and uh, oops, you've accidentally married my older daughter instead, with whom you will go on to have ten children. And then, um, <laughs> so he clearly wasn't that disappointed and then um <laughs> but he uh nothing else Jacob, to do for seven more years while not, he gets uh, the younger one <laughs> so anyway so it's that so, or work so <laughs> <laughs> so jacob works another seven years and then finally gets the daughter that he actually wanted rachel instead of leia um so they do have names they're very important <laughs> so um, but anyway, so that that is the character of Laban that will come back up. Um, yeah, the idea that he's usurping his father already um, is fascinating. I guess I never put together that like, oh, that was the same father-in-law both times. Um, yeah. And I think it's also like, I don't know, it's also interesting, like, oh, this is like the wife repository for the Abrahamic line. <laughs> like, you just, like, oh, you need a wife while you go to Laban? It's like a used car salesman. I don't that's a good image. I don't know. It's just like, I. <laughs> he, he gives you a lemon, but it's a Leia. <laughs> Here you go. He gives you a Leia. <laughs> you come back, come back the next day and be like, hey, you said this engine only had 40,000 miles on it. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> I don't know. I, it just, I mean, I mean, that also, like, 
there was also room to talk about like how much agency I think does Rebecca. I, I know that's I don't want to throw off like the flow of the no, podcast, absolutely. but like cool. I know it's an interesting later, but like um how much agency does Rebecca and in the future, like Leia and Rachel, um, have in this whole like interaction. Um, like it kind of seems like Rachel, because she's they bring her in, like, oh, we want to hear her opinion. Like that's explicitly stated. And it doesn't seem like that's in other parts where Laban does this kind of stuff. But yeah, she does say, like, yeah, like I'll I'll go with them. And I wonder, like, is the text really showing us that she had a choice? Um, or is this like Maybe in like a real marriage, maybe you, you probably wouldn't. Someone getting married at this time, maybe you, you wouldn't have that sort of agency in your own life. I don't, I don't know. I just there's just a lot of like interesting cultural layers there that I I don't know enough about to to peel back those. Um, understand yeah. like how much agency a person would have in those situations. I don't know. Um, yeah, can't imagine it's a lot, but I don't know. <laughs> well, and and it's interesting the repetition of the of the number ten in this story. Um, remember, dear listener, that numbers are often really important in in these ancient stories. And so remember that that uh, this story is told three times in repetition, where the servant first the servant gets there, and then Rebecca draws water for him, and then he predicts what what the right person will do, and then she does it almost word for word the exact same way, and then he tells the family that uh, this has happened in exactly the way that he that he said it would. And so like, it's, it's this repetition, right? Where three is the, the sort of finality, right? That we have the three angels who come to tell Abraham that he's going to give birth to Isaac, right? And here that same sort of three pattern, that repetition is happening again in this story of Isaac and, and Isaac's uh, progenity, right? Um, but one of the other weird things that's happening here is that 10 is repeated. It's 10 servants that the servant takes with him to go to these folks. And then it's 10 days that they say, Rebecca, stay with us. And then uh, what comes after that, when she decides that she goes, she says, may you are, they bless her and say, may you, our sister, become thousands of 10,000, right? May you become the the ancestor of 100,000 generations. Well, I can't do math. Just a way of saying a hell of a lot, right? Uh, may your well rise up to meet you, right? Is, is may you be very moist? Is, uh, is what they're saying. Um, but that in that blessing, there is this undertone again that you were talking about, Josh, of so that your descendants may conquer and rule in the other cities, rather than you know you being intermarried with those people. I want to propose that maybe Rebecca was trying to get the hell out of there. Because mm. <laughs> with the, like, we already know, like, from our spoiler earlier, that Laban is not, like, a cool guy. He's pretty big dick, and that's her brother. <laughs> and that he would have authority over her in some regard. And, he, like... Rebecca is in some context, I think, like painted as like, you know, basically the daughter of like a king in this area, essentially. So Mm -hmm. why is she the one going out to the well collecting the water? Maybe Mm. she's trying to get out of the house. And oh, 10 camels. (laughs) No problem. I got all day. Happy to help. (laughs) Well, and it's funny that like, Rebecca is this person that seems to have more agency over her own life, right? Like that, that 
Rebecca will become really intensely engaged in this fight between whether or not Esau and Jacob are the descendant that gets Isaac's inheritance, right? And she will be very heavily invested in Jacob getting it. And that is in stark contrast to Sarah. Well, I don't know. Is it in contrast to Sarah or is it actually just a continuation of of Sarah having a favorite? I definitely think it's the continuation of Sarah. I mean, and and Rebecca is the like... She's the successor. I mean, Isaac takes her in his mama's tent, and that's 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 where it gets sealed. She's the new matriarch. So <laughs> I think they I, they do have a lot in common, but like I like before she gets mixed up in everything, Rebecca's a nice pure heart girl. <laughs> Just kind of jump on that. I wonder my wife is a is a, a counselor. Um she has her, her school school counselor and she said she or like doing counseling and, and all that jazz. And I was, and we talk a lot about like, like family dynamic, like therapy and, and, and how much like, um, like family systems. Right. So if you have like a toxic, like matriarch or patriarch, or whatever in your family, like t- that tends to like cascade out to you know, everyone else. And so I think about Laban being like a, just a real, real garbage person. And then I like wondering like how much of that is just like, yeah. So we have like, um, uh, uh, Rebecca trying to escape that because you know, like you would want to, but also like you're gonna you're gonna bring some of that junk with you into mm. your new family, which also has its own like particular brand of junk, mm. and like it's it gets kind of like crappy. Like here we have like one of the um like one of the time t- few times we have a, a woman with like some real agency. Like she like she does have a, a big part to play in, in um Jacob and Esau's whole struggle thing. Um, but like also she doesn't. It feels like such a underhanded kind of way and it's like oh that's not great that doesn't feel great um yeah i mean isaac's also there being like you remind me so much of mother (laughs) (laughs) yes so like there's also like once she learns this family history and all that like there there's a role that's already been established by these men that she does need to like play into as well Mm. she doesn't need to do it but i mean God's will will be done, but the the toxic family dynamics, you know, that the Abraham and Isaac are not immune from that. Yeah, N- nobody mm. is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and and you know, speaking of of toxic, right? Like this story is it just strikes me as um, something that's so interesting because like the values that they're looking for in a spouse. Are, are good things, right? These are things that you should be looking for in anyone that you want to partner with, right? You should be going out and doing this little test of, hey, like, are you actually going to be a good comrade to me when you don't know what I have to offer you? Um, like, I think that is an immense thing that we could be doing to folks and and is something that Jesus does to us all the time whenever we look away, when we, you know, don't give something to the homeless person on the corner. Um, but uh, <laughs> this story is like, it it has this positive lesson to teach us, but it's also in the context of something that is at the same time imperialistic, right? Like this story is reminding us, no, you don't want to go and intermarry with those Canaanites because they're idol worshipers and idol worship is what took down the the kingdom of Israel, right? And the whole purpose of us being here is to go drive out those Canaanites, right? And if you intermarry with them, you won't eliminate them and thus you'll end up in sin, right? And, And so you instead go to your family and choose your family instead of these outsiders. 
without realizing that like the actual historical ancient anthropological people of Israel were Canaanites, right? Who probably united in various tribes around this central identity of worship of the god Yahweh and um or you know, or at least were able to merge their gods together into being the the god that we know as Adonai, right? And that I believe is true and is truly the god of the universe, but you know, was is is a number of different characteristics that merge together into our understanding of God. Right. And here again we see that like this book is an incredibly human book, right? That has things to teach us that are positive and things that they, to teach us by criticizing what they have to say. We can say, no, we shouldn't be imperializing things because that's what got you into this mess in the first place, right? If you had united with your neighbors instead of divided against them, then perhaps you wouldn't have a very unique identity, but you also wouldn't be scattered among the Babylonians, right? You wouldn't be divided and and all of these other things. I wanted to touch back on like going back to the servant and like, I feel like Abraham's like expectations of the servant are like very reasonable. And this is like, like there's no bad consequence if he can't do it. And I feel like the story reinforces the like, if you just try, like do what you can for God and like it will be. Mm. Like like what will be will be. Which is, mm. I'm not trying to use that as like a thought terminating cliche. You should like try your, your darndest. You really mm. you do need to try. But like if things don't go the way you expect them, like it's also okay. Mm. You've done your best. And that that's all that God wants. That's all that Abraham wanted after you touched his dick. <laughs> I wonder I wonder like how much of that comes. I wonder if that's like maybe this is me reading too much into it. But like is this is this like like is this show character growth on the part of Abraham? To like to get to a spot where he was like, he used to be like, oh, like I'm supposed to have babies. I haven't had any babies. I'm going to like, you know, force myself upon like my slave, my slave girl to, to make that a reality. And here we have this at, at the end of his life being like, oh, like whatever, whatever will be, will be like, it'll come to pass. And maybe you won't understand how it worked out, but it, it will. Like, it just seems like a much different, like a different tact. And I wonder if this is like, maybe Abraham, like, died less of a dick than he came into the world. So I definitely think Abraham has like grown uh, (laughs) (laughs) and perhaps improved, but he's definitely like, he's, he's changed as a person as we all do like throughout his life. And I, I think part of the reason why God like made him have kids so late is that he would also be like ready to hand things over and like, be okay, like have some chillness. Like once he has Isaac, okay, it's his part's done, chillness. But he had to be like ready to like hand the reins over too. Like mm-hmm. the phrase that you you coin, what what shall be shall be, is often in Islamic circles. Um, basically said in inshallah, right? Or I'm probably mispronouncing it, inshallah. Um, but that idea is if God wills it, then it will be so, right? That like this story is very much so Abraham saying like, 
okay, you go do your part. And if God wills it, it'll happen, right? And I, I like to talk about um, where the red fern grows theology. Um, uh, I joke uh, because in that story, you have this little boy who desperately wants a basset hound and absolutely loves this basset hound and he can't afford it, can't afford it. And so he goes and he prays every day, God, please give me a basset hound. Please give me a basset hound. All this uh, over and over again. And and one day he goes and talks to his grandpa and he says, I don't, I don't think I believe in God uh, because God hasn't given me the basset hound that I've been asking for. And the grandpa says, well, sometimes you have to meet God halfway. And I think you're exactly right there. But that, that if we go out with our good intentions, if we go out and, and do what we are called to do, if we are called to love people in a specific way, if we are called to do these sorts of things, um, then that is enough, right? And God can use that to bring about other good things. Now, God can use an asshole like Abraham and turn him into many nations. Imagine if instead of Abraham, you were someone who's actually trying to do the right thing all the time. Right? Uh, I shouldn't do so much Abraham slander. El will get upset with me. But um, <laughs> I mean, you know. he wasn't a good person. But he wasn't a good person, yes. So, um, you know, but we, imagine... We can learn from him a little bit. Just at the yeah. point, like, he's having process... Processes yeah. happen to him just like God is. They're friends. Yeah. They're buds. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fact that, that we do develop alongside God and um, that we can we can learn things and change over the course of our life. But I think that you're right on the money. You know, and, and sometimes we will meet God where we're at and or meet God halfway, and then everything will work out perfectly just like this, right? That, that you'll say, okay, this is the kind of thing that I'm looking for. Oh, look, that's what happened. And, um, and you can tell this story three times. And, you know, you're so amazed about it that you have to tell it three times because you can't quite believe it, that all the details happen to match up exactly perfectly. So all these sort of things. Now, in the Hebrew, they don't all match up perfectly. We'll talk about that another time. But, um, <laughs> well, and I think that sort of displays the humanity of it, right? That all the details don't happen exactly, exactly, exactly. But, um, you know, the, the fact that you're so amazed about this that you have to keep telling the story over and over again because it's like, how could that happen? Um, how could these things be working together? And I'm thinking about my own call while I'm talking about that, that like God called me and then pulled the rug out of, from under me and I'm still trying to figure out what that means um, for my life, right? And um, But it's a story that's so amazing that I keep telling it and I keep retelling it to myself and trying to figure out what God could mean and trying to hopefully meet God halfway while I'm there um, and hoping that, whatever I have to offer is enough. All right. The mother tent. The mother tent. <laughs> What's the mother tent? I need, this is what I was, I, I saw this on the dock and I was like, I want to know what the fuck this is. Like this, I'm intrigued. Uh, Alice, this is all you. Tell us all about the mother tent. It's definitely not the labia. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I, I wrote that down because, you know, one, it, it, it shows the symbolic, like, spiritual passing down of the matriarchy from Sarah to Rebecca. But it also is just like so weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me take you into my dead mother's tent full of her stuff <laughs> for us to consummate our betrothal. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> I like I, different times, you know, you had to read like, 
uh, the servant didn't wait. So, you know, maybe Isaac could have built a house or, or a tent uh, for their own. No, but he didn't. He couldn't wait the 10 days. He had to could, go back right away. Could <laughs> not wait. <laughs> but I mean, like that, that's obvious pressure from Abraham being on his deathbed and everything. Yeah. But I was reading something else. And it said there was a cloud always over Sarah's tent. And then when she died, it left. But when Rebecca came, it came back. Mm. So that's more sky moisture, more more of the wetness coming in, I suppose, in the form of clouds. <laughs> if, if we're looking at the water symbology. <laughs> well, and to look at a little different sim- symbology, <laughs> Rebecca is, the, the, the word Rebecca is related to, uh, to tie firmly. And so like you, um, like a, a tight bond, like literally a peg in the ground that would hold up a tent. And so like this, this, I think that there is some um, relation there between the idea that he's bringing Rebecca in to to hold him close, to 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 hold him in as he is experiencing this this terrible loss that that is the loss of Sarah, um, and that his comfort is literally being bound firmly to someone um, in a new way, in a similar way to the way that he was bound to his mother, um, and all the Oedipal questions that that brings up <laughs> as well. Um, I am super interested. I, I don't know who uh, who typed in, but uh, is this the first love story in the Bible? That, that was me. That was mine. Because, I mean, this is the first time, this is our first coupling story, isn't it? Like, like I mean, outside of, like, Abraham, I got excuse me, uh, Adam and Eve, they were just, you know, Pop given there. to each other. Yeah, there. But, like, this is the first time we see like actual like courtship story. Oh, not, I don't even know if you like it. You probably courtship is probably a strong word for what happened there. But like <laughs> the first time with like two people fighting each other. Um, and she at least seems into it in the sense of she wants to get out of her. Maybe she wants to just get out of her father's house. I don't know. Um, well, I, I think, think that's I, interesting. I think we can measure love story on whether or not did she get off the camel or did she fall off? Because falling off is absolutely more rom-com style. And then I think we can Ooh. slide that in as yes, <laughs> this is a love story. This is a clear cute. romantic comedy. That's their meet cute. <laughs> that's when he knew. When she fell off her camel. That's oh, my girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, like they 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 do this thing where they stare at each other. It's like it's like love at first sight. Rebecca stared at Isaac, and I don't think it needs to be the the dropping off the off the camel. This isn't a rom com. This is a, 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 a this is an intense Bollywood movie. Where yeah, there like... we go. <laughs> yes, I think, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, we don't get a whole lot of like romance in the in the in the Bible ever, but. Um, Oh, it's nice ones there. I I will not have you forget Song of Solomon, which oh, to, yeah. be f- to be fair is not really romantic, just really horny. It's just um, but horny. <laughs> but uh, and there are lots of sections of the Bible that are both horny and and romantic. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of the first, at least as close to the to a love story as the Bible gets. Yeah, this is it's uh, at least until we get to David and Jonathan, right? Um, I can't think of another love story that, that really compares to this, unless you're going to call uh, Tamar and Judah something to compare this to. But um, for some <laughs> reason, 
Bible nerds are laughing to themselves, and people who came uh, on here to to be leftist comrades will have to wait until that episode comes out. I apologize, um, but <laughs> I think that the biggest thing that I want to take away from this is that when we reach out in love, that sometimes these things can happen that are so miraculous that we have to keep telling the story. We have to tell the story over and over again because we just can't believe it until we say it enough that we believe it ourselves. And that that sort of love can be our comfort in these moments of difficulty, can be our comfort in um, in these moments when we don't think that we can escape from the despair that we're in. But the reaching out of love is always going to be the way that we're able to escape, not just from um, the loss that we're experiencing, but also the loss that we're experiencing as people who live under capitalism and who desperately need relationships with people who will make us better, who will be generous with us, and who will love us even when we are crying in the middle of a field. So all that to say, thank you, Josh and Elle, for being a part of this conversation and for putting up with me for two hours um, <laughs> while we figure these things out. I would love to have you all back in the future. And uh, friends, go and check out Josh's podcast. And Josh and Fabian will be with us in a couple future episodes. And so look forward to having them again. Again, check out Ideas About God. Uh, there are some really wonderful ones. I start at the beginning because I think that it just gets, they set up a, a, dec- a good background that helps you develop the ideas that come later. So, um, so go and do that. And uh, I look forward to having you all next time. And as always, thank you to our wonderful patrons and our editors and our, all the people in the Discord community who make this conversation uh, just new and beautiful all the time. I so appreciate y'all. Now, Pass Micah, take it away. Thank you, Future Micah. And of course, you, our wonderful listener. Together, we have made a wonderful and growing community on Discord that I look forward to being a part of every day. Your generous support on Patreon has already greatly increased the quality of our podcast, including this very outro. As an extra little thank you, you can get episodes early along with a bunch of other cool perks. Please follow the link in the show notes to join our Discord, Patreon, and all of the other things mentioned throughout this episode. If you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me through the Discord or by email at thewordinblackandred at gmail.com. Now, future Micah, say the profound shit. And thank you, past Micah. Now go, my friends, and reach out in love. Reach out in the hope and knowledge that someone else will come. Someone who can love us out of our despair. Shalom. Shalom.